things that are going on in this world instead of coming to you and glorifying your name and worshiping and following you. Father, forgive us. Lead us into repentance to turn and to follow you. Please, this morning, protect us. Protect us from the temptation that will be thrown at us. Protect us from the temptation that's going to go off in our minds like little explosions to cause us to be distracted. Protect us this morning from the evil one and his schemes. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, if you are a child that would like to go to community church, please do. I am Pastor Max. I am one of the pastors here. Welcome. If you are new here at all, we do have a couple of free gifts for you out in the lobby. Just a scripture journal of the Gospel of John and a little sermon titled um, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by uh, a retired pastor, theologian, Tim Keller. It is a fantastic little sermon um, to read. If you have any prayer requests whatsoever, there's a connection card in the back seat. Please go ahead and fill that out. Put it in the offering box, which is just out in the lobby as well. If you would like to, please go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Today we'll be in verses 14 and 18. Hopefully I can promise that this morning. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 through 18. I'm going to pray for us one more time that the Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds and soften our hearts to his word. God, we are needy sinners in need of grace. We are in need of comfort because we have worked ourselves too hard. We are in need of encouragement because we are downcast. We are in need of conviction because we have strayed and have made idols out of things here on earth. We need rebuke because we far too often forget the wonderful news of the gospel, the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. And so I ask this morning that you would move us mightily, that we would read your word and be stirred by this, not by any emotionalism, not by any intellectualism, but that your Holy Spirit would be so evident and so present here that we would walk away this morning blown away. Please, God, pray this in your Son, Jesus' name, who is worthy to be worshipped. Amen. So this morning we're going to be in 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And I think that this passage is a very important passage for us to go ahead and look at this morning. First, because it's in the Word of God, so there's that card that I'm going to play right out. It's important because it's in the Word of God. But the second reason why is because what Paul is doing here is he's going to be calling the Philippian church to shine as lights in a dark world. Now, before we go ahead and get started, what I I first need to do, though, because this is going to be not only an important passage to look at, but a hard passage to wrestle with. I mean, you could look at verse 14 and you could see my struggle as I'm coming up here and preparing for this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that's what we get to deal with today. And so the question that I want to start off asking is, does the church across the American landscape, and more specifically, because lest we point out the log in another person, or point out the speck in another person's eye and not the log in our own eye, so we need to think about our church and then even more specifically zeroed in ourselves, do we actually shine like the Bible is calling us to shine? This might be one of the most important questions for this church and for you moving on the rest of this church's life and your life. Look, right now it is obvious. It is obvious to point out into the world and say, of course it's dark, of course it's lost. Nobody can get on the same page. There is this organization and that organization all pursuing different things. And what we continue to see unfold in the news is corruption and mayhem. And here's where I just want to pause for concern. Is that the church needs to worry about the church and God will worry about the world. But the church is to shine as God has called it to. There was a a recent study that had just come out, I believe it was in the Washington Post, that talked about how church membership in America is at an all-time low. 20 years ago, it was at 68%. So over half of the population in America claimed to be a member of a church. What they just came out with, the Washington Post, if I remember correctly, it was either them or the New Yorker, said that 48% of the population in America now claim to be members of a church. When that first came out, the articles that I had started reading was talking about, well, of course, because it's the secularization of the world and people want the culture. But here's where I didn't see anybody really talking about this besides one person fantastic article written by Russell Moore, and he made the observation of saying, maybe it's not just the culture. Maybe the church has acted more like the world, and so people have just said, well, why bother waste my Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and why not just dedicate myself to something else? And so this is why this morning this passage is so incredibly important for us 
here right now in our time in history because this is the amazing reality that we are seeing. (laughs) This is what makes me so excited about the trajectory and the future of the church is that this reason, as church membership goes down, as I think it should because there's probably a lot of nominal Christians, it's only allowing the church the greater privilege to act as the church and be the light on the hill that Jesus has called us to be during his ministry. It is only as this world continues to get darker an opportunity for the church to shine more brightly. And this is exciting. And so this is why this passage is so important. And this is what we're going to be seeing here this morning. This is what Paul is calling this church the Philippian church, about 2,000 years ago, to the same thing that we're still called to today, and that's to be a church that shines bright to the world. That we are to be Christians that shine bright to the world. And he showed us last week that the way we do this is by working out our salvation with fear and trembling. This is pursuing godliness and holiness in our own lives. So we pursue godliness and holiness. And then he says, starting in verse 14, and I'm going to read through 16, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. What we see going on here is Paul is throwing it back to the Old Testament. You see, this is why right here being familiar with the Old Testament is important because what Paul is doing is he's drawing off of what Israel was called to do to do, and what they didn't do. He's calling off what Israel was commanded to do by God and failed to do. And that is to be a light to the nations. In fact, what we see here is a very specific reference to Scripture. Paul is really referencing to Deuteronomy 32. It's a song of Moses. It's a song that starts off beautiful and then takes a hard turn to the left, which would be um, so incredibly scary as Moses is reading this. He's singing this song to Israel. And then all of a sudden, Moses says or sings this. Remember the days of old, back up. Verse 5, they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. Who's they? Israel. They are a crooked and twisted generation. So the people of God, it doesn't take more than five books in the Bible for them to already be a crooked crooked and twisted generation. Now if you've read Deuteronomy, you know one of the things that's going on here that the Israelites are constantly wrestling with is idolatry, is wanting to look like the other nations out in the world. 
And yet God has called them to a different function, to be a light to the nations, to display his glory to the world. And so we come to our passage in the context of the Philippian church being persecuted in Rome, being strung up, hung on crosses, and lit on fire type of persecution. And now Paul is telling them, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Don't you think that this church may have a little wiggle room if they're being hung up on a cross and lit on fire as lamps to have just a little bit of grumbling and disputing? Wouldn't you think that them being persecuted and ostracized by their very own Roman people would give them just a little leeway to grumble or complain or, or dispute and argue? But Paul here is still encouraging them, still telling them, press on, press forward, do all things as you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling without grumbling or complaining or arguing. Now I wonder when the last time is that you grumbled. I know when the last time I, I grumbled was or argued. I can confess. It's already happened today. It hasn't taken long. He tells them, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Here's the reality. People who don't know God aren't going to live as if they know God. And the church does a great job of trying to heap expectations on those outside of God as if they should live according to God, which they should, but they don't because their heart is hard. But, as Ezekiel says, is that God has put a new heart in those who have believed in him. He has taken out the heart of stone and replaced it with a red-blooded, fleshly-like heart. He's put his spirit within him. He's put his spirit within you if you claim to believe in Jesus Christ. Therefore, what that means is that you know the things of God. You know the great accomplishment that Jesus has done for you. That he's done for the world. And as you take steps forward in this life, you should constantly have in your view the cross of Christ. No matter if it's at work and your boss is overworking you unfairly. Or it's at school. Or it's your family. 
or it's the person that just cut you off or is driving slow in front of you. Do all things without complaining or arguing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Is Paul telling us here, is Paul telling the Philippian church here to be perfect? No. Perfection here on earth is impossible to attain. You cannot be perfect. What Paul here is saying is do not give the world a, an opportunity to look at you and see any type of flaw or fault. Now, Max, how is that not being perfect? Now, we're all sinful human beings that still struggle with indwelling sin. I understand that. You understand that. But here's the reality. Far too often, the church gives the world reasons to look, point, and say, see, you're a hypocrite. Let's just call it what it is. And so, Paul is calling this church, Paul is calling us this morning to do all things without grumbling and complaining because when we do that, we act as the children of God. But what are we supposed to look to? I briefly mentioned it before. And Paul tells us this, the word of life. We are to hold fast, he says in verse 16, to the word of life. David tells us in the Psalms that the Lord is the light of salvation. In Psalm 119, we are told that the word of God should be a light for our feet, for our path. The scriptures are the, the word of life that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword that any man has ever made. And yet far too often, as a church, what we do is we tend to dip back and forth. We tend to say, oh, the word of God has some good implications for us, but I'll read this book instead. Here's just this question that I want to pose to you all. Why do you think there are thousands of self-help books yearly published? Because they never work. Year after year, thousands of self-help books continue to be published, and yet they tend to never work. They may bring some comfort for a little while, but year after year, more of them come out. And here we have the word, the word of life, the word that is active. And so we must look here as our source to shine bright in a crooked and twisted generation, to shine bright in a dark world. And what does Paul say? Basically, Paul says in the rest of verse 16, you do this, I'm, pro I'm a proud Paul. I will see, as he says, the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Right here, we get a 
we get a peek into Paul's heart, how, how Paul himself, too, is a worrier. Paul's longing is for this church that when Paul meets his maker on Judgment Day, that his running would not be in vain. That his labor would not be in vain. Now, we can look back to chapter 1 and Paul has already said to them, look, I'm sure of it that you will be brought uh, to the day of completion. But Paul does not want to run in vain. What does it look like to run in vain? Revelation 2 tells us. So the angel of the church in Ephesus writes the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Wouldn't it be amazing if that's just where God stops? But he doesn't. Listen to what he says next. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at First, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. What does that mean? Jesus is the light of the world. Removing a lampstand means there's nowhere you can light it. From its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of, I'm not even going to try there, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear. This is what Paul is worried of, is that here, the church of Ephesus, what is being said here is, your doctrine is great. You've tested the spirits, it's great. But you have no love. Your theology has not led to an ounce of doxology. Your theology has not led to an ounce of love of me or love of your neighbor. And therefore, you must repent. And if you don't repent, then you will be an apostate church. You will be a church that I do not know. I will take the lampstand away from you. And any presence that you had, you will lose. Let me just illustrate it like this. There was a pastor friend of mine who went into a coffee shop one early morning. And as he went in there with his Bible in his hand, he went up, ordered a drink, and sat down. And as he sat down, it was early in the morning, and there were a group of older, about five gentlemen sitting around a coffee table. They were there to hold their weekly Bible study. And as my friend was reading his Bible, he couldn't help but overhear these men start to talk about Jesus and the things of God. 
And then he got to that point where it was hard not to eavesdrop, but he was eavesdropping. He was trying to pay attention, but still eavesdropping. I'm sure everybody here knows what I'm talking about. Maybe it's just me. I'm always listening. (laughs) And as he's overhearing them, this is what he's hearing them say. He's hearing them say stuff and complain about the government and how the local government is not doing what it should be doing. The higher government, well, they're just lost, and if we could just get the right Christians into office, then everything would be okay. And they were complaining about their pastor's last sermon and why he said that, and why the church doesn't do more programs, and why. In the world, would they have to do construction on this day where I had to go around that way? And why do my children never call me anymore? And my boss is just a terrible person. And so they get up, they leave, and as they're leaving, they hand a Brisa a tract of the gospel. And my friend finishes his cup of coffee, goes up to get a refill, and the barista looks at him and says, I see that you were reading your Bible, but it's because of them and their complaining about everything that I will never set foot in a church. Because how could you possibly believe that Jesus Christ has saved you from hell and act like that? Look, and I understand that there may be some of you in here, as I'm saying this, are feeling a little uneasy. Well, you don't know what I've been through. You're just young still. You haven't lost people who are close. You haven't had people back, uh, go behind your back and steal from you. And I understand that those things must be incredibly painful. But yet, let me just encourage us with this. What could separate you from the love of God in all of your complaining and grumbling and arguing with the world, whether it's in person or over social media? Do you not see how God has protected you and kept you and grown you? Do you not see that he works all of those circumstances out for your good and his glory? Have you not read the beautiful passage that nothing, absolutely nothing, not famine or sword or nakedness or pestilence or anything will separate you from his love? So what do we have to complain and argue about if such a great love has come down and saved us from the wrath of God. I often wonder about myself, how many of my friends or how many of my family members do not want to hear the gospel from me or step into the doors of this church because I grumble and complain and argue around them too much. That they look at me and they say, If he believes in something so great, why does he have so much to complain and argue about? I 
I wonder if the same is said about you. And so here is the question that we need to ask ourselves. It's the same question that Israel failed time after time to ask until God brought it just smack dab in their face. Do I shine brighter than the things outside in this world? Why is it when you're outside at night and you look up at the sky and your eyes are drawn to the beauty of the stars and yet if there's a full moon, it's quickly drawn over to the moon? Why is it on those mornings when it's sunny out and yet you can still see the silhouette of the moon and yet your eyes are drawn to the sun? It's because whatever light is brighter in your life is what you are drawn to. How bright does Jesus shine in your life? How bright does he shine in your life? And depending on that depends on how bright you shine for Jesus. If politics is the thing that shines most bright in your life, then you better believe it. You're going to have lots of things to complain about. If your work and your job security is the thing that shines the brightest in your life, you better believe it. You're going to have lots of things to complain about. If your kids are, if sports are, if alcohol is, if pornography is, if arguing is, if drugs are, whatever shines brightest in your life, of course you're going to hold on to that with fists so tight so that nobody can strip it out. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is this, how bright does Jesus shine in your life? How valuable is he in your life? What's the worth of him? Is he this treasure that's hidden in a field that you're willing to sell everything for? Is he the one that you're willing to say, I'm going to pick up my cross and count the cost and follow him daily? As Paul says in chapter 3 here in Philippians, do you count everything as a loss for the surpassing worth of just knowing Christ Jesus? Would you give him everything you have to follow him? The question really comes down to is how valuable is Jesus in your life? And depending on how valuable he is in your life depends on how bright you will shine, depends on how bright this church will shine. And so we must pursue a life that is shining bright by the word of life. And this isn't easy because these last two verses make it very clear to us. Paul tells us, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. I wonder how many of us could so boldly say this. Paul here is using both a Jewish and a Greco-Roman illustration here. It was very common that as sacrifices were going on, they would take a, a bottle of wine or some type of drink and they would pour it over the sacrifice. 
signifying a symbol of that my life is being poured out for this thing. And this is what Paul is saying here to this church. To you, the church of Philippi, I am pouring out my life. Or as Paul puts it in in Romans, I'm going to live a life as a sacrifice. A sacrificial offering is the life that Paul is living. And then he tells them, likewise, you also also should be glad and rejoice with me. Whatever shines brightest in our lives is what we sacrifice for. Oh, I'll tell you what. This was me. This was, this was me when I was pursuing basketball. I sacrificed in high school and college everything. I just grew up right around the time and my dad was a big Chicago Bulls fan to be constantly told, gotta be like Mike. Gotta be like Mike. Michael Jordan. And so I sacrificed everything to try to be like Mike. And where did it leave me? Left me stranded alone, depressed, in empty gyms that were cold and smelly. But this is where I wanted to pour myself out. But pouring yourself out as Paul is pouring himself out is doing what? This is why the word of God is absolutely incredible. It's because in Philippians 2 chapter or Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11 what do we see Paul doing we see Paul calling the church to live sacrificially in a humble way towards one another and who does he use as an example he uses Jesus and now what is Paul saying to the Philippians a few sentences later Essentially, what he's saying is, if you can't imitate Christ, imitate me. Paul is putting his mouth where his actions are. He's putting his faith or his works where his faith is. And so must we. If you are a child of God, you are called to be a light in the world. If you are a child of God, then you are called to be a living sacrifice, not a fine specimen in preservation. But this is the warning to our church and to us as individuals. When we become comfortable and all we care about is doctrinal truths and we don't care about loving God and loving our neighbors, we cease to stop shining. And what happens next 
is the witness is taken away. The lampstand is removed. And so here, church, I just have a simple way of concluding this. We are faced with two options moving forward. The word of God does not return void. It either acts as a way of conviction and deepening your fellowship with God or judgment. So we just opened up the word of God and something amazing happened, and that's that God himself spoke to us. And what did his word say? His word said that we have to shine bright in a dark world. And if we don't, then our lampstand is taken away. So we have one or two options moving forward here. You may be asking, okay, so how do we apply this? How do I be a light in the world? Well, I've said it already. Read God's word and just do it. The word of life is the most important thing, not not programs. So if you're waiting for programs to be put on here to do something, don't wait any longer. This is my encouragement to you. Just go out and be a light to the world. If you have an opportunity to serve somebody, don't wait for anybody here to give you the okay to do it. Just do it. Because what we're faced with is this. Either we shine bright or we die. Let's pray. Father, would you please Lead us into repentance. That we would turn from any grumbling and disputing, any grumbling and arguing, any complaining, and turn from it. That we would see you as a treasure hidden in a field that we are willing to sell everything for. That we would be like a a city lit up on a hill, shining bright for all to see, that we would not give this world in our lifetime a reason to complain or to point out flaws to us unless they are just unfair lies. Let us take a serious, search our ways and, and, and know our hearts and lead us to treasure Lead us to live lives as living sacrifices so that we would not run in vain or labor in vain, but that we would have all the more reason, like Paul and the church in Philippi, to rejoice. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.